0: This is Geek Gab with your host, Darnall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, June 18th, 2022. Hey, guess what?
1: I I'm at a loss. What is it? I
0: I actually have internet.
1: Internet's back. All is right in Daddy Warpig's world.
0: They fixed it. And and you'll never guess when they fixed it. About 30 minutes ago. No, although that wouldn't have been surprising. They fixed it yesterday. (laughs) So fully like, oh, I'd say 18 hours ago. That's incredible. And I discovered something I never would have thought. My computer is a lump of metal without the internet anymore. Everything I do on my computer is now utterly useless without the internet. Everything. I have programs to write, composition programs that also have, you know, sections to store research and notes. I have video games on my computer. I am not just a console peasant. I have all sorts of stuff on my computer. It's all useless, all useless without uh, the internet to authorize things and to let me research on the uh on the world wide web and stuff the, it's just the dreaded digital rights management yeah serious and it's it's hilarious i've got starcraft 2 because i wanted to go play some starcraft 2 last week yeah um and it let me play it for several several days and in the last couple of days every time i launched it it said install. It just wouldn't let me play it anymore. Apparently, there's some limit of number of times you launch it or number of days you can play it offline mode where it just says, okay, now we're going to pretend like you have to update something. Uh, Because as soon as I launched it, once I had my internet back, it was like, install what? There's no update. And I'm like, you sons of... So yeah, Blizzard, Activision. Yeah. Activision, all Activision to Blizzard and stuff. But by the way, before we move on past this, uh, there were some big, you know, big, huge accusations of all this Activision-y, Blizzard-y behavior. Uh, Apparently, uh, they're... they're...
2: Arena oh, right.
0: match game over boss or overdone or what? What is that? <laughs> Overwatch. Overwatch. Right. Apparently, Overwatch Two just launched, and their big new feature was supposed to be PVE combat. But that uh, that was supposed to be there when they launched like last week isn't going to be there until January or maybe later in two thousand and three. The the roadmap just says two thousand and three. Um, and so somebody was complaining. It's like, what have they been doing for the last three years of development on this game? Why don't they have PVE? And the response on Twitter that I saw was, uh, brutal. They were like, sexually harassing their coworkers," And I'm like, oh, that's, that's cold. Not unfair, but cold. <laughs> Anyways. This sexually harassing their coworkers thing. Apparently there was a fridge of like, you know, uh, in the modern terminology, chest feeding milk. I don't know what that was about. Um, I haven't like dug deep into these allegations, but uh, Activision did a huge investigation of Activision and it finally and definitively cleared activision of all charges oh so i just thought the audience would like to know in case you were wondering there was absolutely nothing wrong going at activision and activision has finally told us that that is the truth activision so thanks activision. i feel better now activision
1: i'm glad activision is looking out for activision
0: it is Absolutely the truth. I swear it on my Activision.
1: (laughs) And uh, speaking of Activision, uh, Diablo Immortal was released recently, and it's the uh, pay-to-play, pay-to-win crap show we all knew it would be.
0: I took 20 minutes out of my life to watch an incredible video detailing exactly how bad that was. Not the one everybody was upset about that wasn't actually... What they should have been upset about because it never said the things they thought that it said that they should be upset about. But like a really, really good one from a guy who took the time to play the game to find out how bad it would actually be. It's uh, just inconscionable. I'm shutting up so you can finish what you were saying.
1: I don't have anything to say other than, oh, you know. Okay. If you expected anything less out of a a free-to-play game made by the people who turned World of Warcraft into a casino, then uh, you're just blind. You are, dare I say, a blind fanboy, if you uh, thought anything different.
0: We, we We did a whole show on mobile games. Yep. Because I got into mobile games for like a month and I played four different ones just to see what they were like and I was quite upset as I recall Uh, but I'm not I'm not doing that anymore I'm not doing a review of Diablo Immortal I'm just not this one video satisfied all my curiosity on that I'm like yep that looks like that looks like uh, addiction bait trash right there and I'm not going anywhere near it I respect myself but I don't respect myself so much as to be arrogant enough to believe that I'm absolutely immune to psychological tricks and stuff. I, I, I respect myself enough to say, hey, you know what? Some things I just stay away from because I don't know that I would, but I don't want to find out. Wise. Prudent. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry if I'm complimenting myself, but yeah, it is you are wise and prudent tact. wise, prudent, and
1: handsome. Uh Aww. Speaking of that wise, prudent, and handsome, uh, shall we talk about our guest this week? Oh, yeah. Let's
0: move on. Hey, oh, wait, well, but we haven't course. asked you how your week was. So let's do that real quick. Oh,
1: my week. A pretty slow week. I'm heads down at work working on a brand new project. This one's a lot more re- writing and research. So if I'm cranky today, that's why. Because uh, reading season is, always
0: makes you cranky.
1: Reading makes me cranky. Uh, allergy season is in full effect in the Pacific Northwest. I've been sleeping like a total of 10, 12 hours every day. Um, and not necessarily in a good way. But uh, life is good. I don't have anything else to report. Uh, as far as geek stuff goes... I've been uh, dipping my toe into retro games and uh, planning and plotting a potential Dungeons & Dragons game uh, with the help of my brother. That's been a ton of fun. Uh, On previous weeks, we talked about experimenting with the domain creation rules and the exploration rules. Yes. And uh, so we continue that, learning a lot about how that system runs Sometimes it feels a little bit of tedious, but it is a lot of fun to go through. At least as the game master. Uh, so, I'll have more about that in future weeks as that develops. Uh,
0: I, uh, other than that, yeah, I watched a bunch of stuff this week, so I'm keeping up on you know the series, and I'm going to review. Um, and and I will tell you, I have watched all of the. Paramount plus Star Wars, uh, Star Trek stuff. I'm also watching Kenobi. Uh, And for the first time ever, and I mean ever, and all of Discovery and all of Picard, I haven't watched the cartoon series because I tried and it was just too painful. I'm not doing that again. I, I refuse. I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. I won't. I can't. Um, Lower Decks killed me. I just, I'm not, I'm not willing to endure that level of pain. I'm not joking. This is not a bit. It was painful to watch. And uh, I respect myself too much to put myself through that level of pain for no reason. Just to come out the other end and saying, it sucks. Don't watch it. I can review that whole series right now. It sucks. Don't watch it. I saw the first episode. It sucks. Don't watch it. Um, and then I'm watching Strange New Worlds right now. And Strange New Worlds, for the first time in all of these live-action Star Trek series, the episode from two weeks ago uh, was actually good. (laughs) It was actually a good episode of, of a TV show. I'd give it a 75 five percent maybe an 80 percent honestly really honestly an 80 percent you know solid b minus tv show episode uh and and it's solid b minus star trek episode um i mean they telegraphed the ending twist like samuel morse himself was at the helm but uh yeah it was a it was a Man, I'm shocked. You can tell how shocked I am. So, you know, my my review is almost certainly going to be along the lines of it sucked. Don't watch it. Except if you get a chance to watch episode. I think it was episode five. You know, track down that well, episode. It's it's all right. It's not well, worth come watching back, the whole series for.
1: <laughs> come back with that episode and and share a link if you could, and that that'll suffice for the review. Watch this episode, the rest of it's crap.
0: Yeah, that's that's been generally what it is so far. Somebody on Twitter, and I'm stealing this, this is not my words, but I thought it was perfectly asked. Somebody on Twitter was saying that Strange New Worlds is like watching Star Trek having had a stroke, and it's learning how to Star Trek all over again. <laughs> now we can introduce our guest. <clears throat> yeah,
1: speaking of entertainment that isn't awful doesn't hate you uh jim breyfogle's back uh author of uh fantastic fiction the in particular the mongoose and meerkat series who our friends at circova have been uh, publishing Cursova. uh jim Kursova, <coughs> what'd i say sirkova what all right, we're, we're doing sarcophagus. Jim Gray Fogel. apologize for for mangling that. Apparently, I can't talk today. Jim Gray Fogle thanks for joining us again.
2: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate your having me.
1: Oh, we we love to have you back, um, mainly because, and, and this is this is where we're going to start by uh, flattering the guest because of your passion and love for the work and the material. It's really good stuff.
2: Um, Thanks. It's great to hear that.
1: Now, now we're not just here just because we like you and we like your stuff. Uh,
2: What's new? Well, we have um, Kirsova is gathering together the next series of stories. Um, They have been available, uh, serialized in the magazine. Uh, but now they're being gathered together in the second volume. So, Tales of the Mongoose and Marikat, Volume Two, The Heat of the Chase. Um, it continues where the first one left off, of course, and carries the story arc forward. It also includes um, a non-Mongoose and Maricott, uh kind of a novel at length piece called uh, Thunderhead, just sort of if you've if people have read the stories in the magazine and they're wondering why they might be interested in this, not only do you get all the stories in one place, but you also get something that has not been published anywhere before, and hopefully um, hopefully they would enjoy reading that as well. I love that. So
1: a bunch of the Mongoose and Meerkat stories collected in one place, plus a brand new bonus story. Um, now I'm, I'm someone who hasn't been keeping up with Kursova, so, or Serkova, whatever we're calling it today. <laughs> uh, uh Kursova. So what is new in the mongoose and meerkat world? Like what, what would I be looking forward
2: to if I were to pick this up for myself? Um, hopefully you would, if you've, if you have read any of the previous stories, hopefully you would be looking forward to revisiting characters, um, that you know and appreciate and seeing what they're up to kind of like old friends um if you haven't then maybe meeting a couple new characters and seeing what they're up to like making new friends um but so the first book some of the stories you know they you start out and the characters meet each other and they they develop a relationship and then they move forward into the into the story arc and I don't know if any of the readers had noticed this, but they were kind of a little clunky at first. So, you know, they, they might not actually accomplish their goal or they might partially accomplish the goal or they might accomplish the goal in a way that they really didn't intend to. As we move forward, I think they'll see that in this book and then the stories going forward, they're, they're better at what they do. So, um, things move a little more smoothly, which isn't to say they, they move smoothly or as intended. There's always unexpected consequences and things like that, but you will notice that they've kind of upped their game a little bit.
1: Uh, now, that's interesting because even though it's a serialized, uh, it, you know, a bunch of serial stories like the old Pulse, uh, you do have uh, character growth and change
2: and consistency from story to story yeah if if the people again i i don't i mean this is part of the mongoose americad experiences is the reader can read the stories and they can be independent because each story is its own story it's not like one of those you know saturday movie matinee serials that you you leave in the middle and you have to come back next week to see how the the hero gets out of the trap um but at the beginning of each story, there is kind of a, st- a timestamp, which, you know, it's second world fantasy, so it's not like June 24th. It's just all, all relative to the fall of allness, which happened before anybody ever got into the story arc. But it, it tells you where they are um, relative to each other, um, and they are sequential, um, even though you don't have to read them that way.
1: Because each each story is enjoyable individually, but if you if you know which stories come before the others, you can track, you know, the the fates of characters and uh, you know the growth of the main characters.
2: Right, and and you know it, it's one of those things that if you read them out of order, you don't need them for the story. But somebody might say, hey, um, this guy, and this is an example I keep using when I talk to people because I'm not giving away any significant plot spoiler but um mango starts off and he can't read and over the course of all the stories he learns to read and and he learns to write and you can see his literacy progressing so if you read him out of order you might say hang on you just told me he can't read but in the last one he read just fine, and, and that's just because you read the stories out of order. It doesn't mean that you don't understand or enjoy the stories. It just means you read them out of order. But if you read them in order, then you get a better sense of that progression of the character arc overall. And it, it's, I mean, a little bit arbitrary, of course, because I'm the author. But by time stamping them that way, it allows me to move people around geographically without, you know, all the tedious walking that you see in some stories. <clears throat> Tolkien, um, <laughs> but but you can go from one setting to another without having to justify it or move them. So you just, I mean, it, it works very well in the in in a format like your Silva, because, you know, the reader just sort of assumes that between the last issue and this issue, of course they moved around and the timestamp shows that yes, they did in fact move around, but I don't have to show anything like, you know, mango sitting down with a, with an English tutor or anything like that, which is terminally boring. Um, But you just sort of assume it happened between the stories and you see the results of it as it goes on.
1: Oh, that's great. And to my mind, it sounds like you're getting all the benefits of novelization without actually novelizing it. You you don't you don't you don't need the connective tissue anymore,
2: which is which is great, um, because, yeah, some of that is the boring stuff. I think it was Elmer Leonard who writes mysteries who are trick to writing a good story is don't write the boring parts. which is really hard because the boring parts are necessary for creating a, a believable story. I mean, our lives are full of boring parts that get us from point A to point B. And if they're not there in the story, the story becomes unbelievable because we expect it to be there. But you're right. In this format, I could just kind of write a lot of that stuff out. And it has the added benefit of if you have something which is, you know, fully coherent a lot of times you're stuck in one geographic location or maybe you can move to another one but again then you you, you take time and moving and stuff like that me I, I i can have any location i want because i can skip from one story to another to another and one can be on a tropical island and one can be in a frozen tundra and one can be deep in the earth and, and it makes perfect sense because i don't have to do that heavy lifting in between the stories
1: mm. oh that's fantastic it Now, in terms of – I'm going to keep going down that path because that's intriguing me because I think in terms of the business of writing, it seems that the most successful people do write novels. So how does that compare with your experience? Like, Are you pleased with the amount of readership? That you're getting uh, out of it like it's it is is it striking that balance between not having to write the boring stuff and and people actually getting exposed to your writing
2: uh, so that that's a question that's it's almost impossible to answer gracefully because of course the answer is no i'm not pleased with my readership i want everybody you know i, I want <laughs> harry potter levels of reading um it, Every you know, it's it's great. The number of people who are reading it—that is very flattering—and the success is had. Um, I don't want to belittle that or Kersilva's readership or anything like that in any way. Um, it, I am very uh, very pleased with the way because this is this is actually a, a really hard way to to do something. Um, and you know, when you sell a story to a magazine you're generally getting paid either a flat fee or by the word and nobody pays the bills that way. Even if you're getting pro rates, you're not paying the bills by short stories. Uh, You got to be super prolific and then you got to do something, you know, like uh, turn them into, um, uh, I have no idea who got, how much people got paid, but if you've seen love death and robots on Netflix, those are all short stories that have been animated into, into something. Um, visual as well. And I assume that they got paid probably pretty decently for that. But just for a short story, I mean, there's just so much out there. Um, people competing, trying to get their stories out. You don't get paid enough for that. So you're right. Novels, if you have a good novel, um, there's a lot of people who do novels and don't get paid for that either. Um, but if you have a good novel that gets good readership, that gets good platform, that gets good exposure, um, you'll do much better than that. But for what I've done here, This is actually, and this is why I am very happy with it. I mean, it's almost like everything I wanted to have happen has happened so far. I wanted to be able to bring the stories out serially so that people could read them and follow along. And hopefully people would like them. And from the reviews and the feedback that I've gotten, people have liked them. And then um, I I Ideally thought it'd be kind of cool at the end of it to be able to gather them all into a book so that people could go back without having to pick up pack issues of magazines that they may or may not have and then be able to read them all through at a go and and see some of the cues that once you know the ending sort of makes more sense because now you know the subtext that was written in there. Um, and Alex at Cursova actually won up to me because he said, well, why don't we do it in three volumes instead of one volume? And I'm like, if you think we can get the readership for that, that'd be great. And so that's what we've been doing and, and it's worked very well. Um, it'd be nice to, to grow it even more. I, I don't think Alex would consider it an insult to say that because I think he'd probably like to be able to grow it even more. Um, but what we've done so far has been very good.
1: Awesome. Uh, I don't have anything intelligent to say about that. That's that's wonderful. <laughs> I love to hear that you guys have a, have a plan, and and you've put you put the thought into it, which yeah, which I love. Um, frankly, a lot of people we talk to, you know, inside and out of the show, don't necessarily think about that stuff, or don't think of it beyond, you know, hey, I want to I want to be able to have a little cash
2: in my pocket, or I want to be able to get my story out to people. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's there's 18 stories, and I'm like, oh, that would be a perfect like uh, year and a half calendar. That'd be awesome. We can have mongoose and meerkat calendars for 18 month calendar, and then we can do, know, yeah, no, just kidding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you've got some you've got some great artists. Uh, I think you could get uh, dark Billy to do a whole uh, mongoose and meerkat calendar.
2: Uh, her illustrations are fun to look at. She's she's done a great job, and that um it there's there's a couple things about about doing this the way we're doing it which is really cool and and also flattering at the same time is because um you'd have to get the the true story from Alex on on how it came about but my understanding is that she just she she liked it and she started to sketch some stuff and she did a good job and And I don't know how she and Alex connected on what she was doing, but Alex came to me and said, we have somebody who is, is interested and and likes the stories and would like to do that. Is that something that you'd be willing to allow? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's great to have somebody come to you and say, I like your stuff enough that I'd like to draw it. I mean, that's hugely flattering. Um, But at the same time, you, you, your initial reaction is like, so how are they going to draw this? you know i i don't want anything crazy out here and so he sent me some samples oh yeah this is really this is this is cool i like what she's doing and so he's like okay then how about if you give her some direction and 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 this is what i think is really cool is the way i wrote the characters for for cat and Mangoes is very very light on the uh, physical description um, for a couple reasons one it's a little disingenuous because nobody really wakes up in the morning looks in the mirror and thinks about oh yes his big brown eyes and curly hair and unshaven chin that's just an art an author's artifice to kind of give the reader what the character looks like but the character is not usually that self-centered enough to do that for you so it feels a little artificial and i'd rather not do that if i can avoid it and and two one of the things I want to allow in the stories to a certain extent is for the reader to be able to bring themselves into the story so I don't really want to to force the issue of of what Mangos looks like and in in all the stories in all 18 stories there is not one description of what Mangos actually looks like there are several things that describe what he can do i mean he is strong he is agile he's picking up different skills but that's not how he looks and the description of cat is is very sketchy too we know that she has long dark hair we know that she has green eyes and we know that she is considered to be exceptionally beautiful but nowhere do i tell you what exceptionally beautiful means so when dark philly was was starting to sketch i'm like well it's going to be interesting because I really haven't said that, you know, Mangos is six to 185 pounds with broad shoulders, narrow waist, looks like he pumps iron religiously, you know, no hair color, no eye color, no button nose or dimply smiles or anything like that. So to see how somebody who has read the stories what sort of image they have in their mind, that's going to be fascinating. And it has been. Um, seeing what she's come up with and the cover art from, from Anton. Um, there's been a, a cover of one of the magazines had the golden pearl and then the covers of the two books were all done by the same guy. And, and seeing how somebody else interprets your writing, because of course they don't have the same visuals. I, I see in my head when I'm writing, but they only see what makes it on the page. And so she's done a fantastic job. And if people are interested in, in the Kickstarter, it is fully illustrated. Um, it has uh, it has Dark Philly's illustrations included, as well as one of Anton's color covers. And um, there's working on getting some more illustrations in there that haven't been seen in the magazine as well.
1: Yeah, for, for those of you watching on YouTube, I'm going to scroll down through this Kickstarter to see if I can find any of those illustrations. There's a Dark Philly illustration at some yep. portal. Which is which is really interesting
2: out. because that's the same scene that the cover is. That's the um, Grain Merchant of oh. Alomar. So what you're seeing there is Dark Philly's interpretation of um, they've just opened up, they, they, they've They've been ransacking some rich guy's house and they think they're going to escape by calling a wizard to teleport them out. What they don't know is that instead of teleporting them out, what they actually do is open a gate and a demon comes in um, <laughs> intent intent to kill everybody in the room. I mean, it's a good way of mopping up a scene if you don't want any witnesses. And so that's Dark Philly's interpretation, and that was in the in the magazine. But the multicolored one, which is my avatar on the screen, as well as the first illustration that you scrolled past, it's the, it's the cover of um, the Heat of the Chase, is Anton's interpretation of the same, same scene.
1: That's from the other perspective, from the demon's perspective. Yes. <clears throat> The characters are escaping through some door, and he's rising up to
2: do bad things. Yeah, it's actually a window. It, it's I don't I don't remember if I specifically said how many stories up it is, but it's not the sort of window that you jump out. It's the sort of window that you sort of slide out and climb down. Oh, I don't think this demon's going to give them that chance. No, it's, it's not not its intent. You're right. <laughs>
1: Uh, that's cool. Uh, really cool artwork. Really cool everything. I do have a question from the chat. We touched on this earlier, but we uh, let's say hi to Carlos in the chat. Carlos asks if uh, could we look forward to a Mir- Mongoose and Meerkat novel someday.
2: Uh, I by that question, I assume um, that you mean a traditional sort of one plot linear sort of novel rather than a series of sor- short stories that then have a different plot woven in the background. Um, it, I never want to say never, but at this point I've kind of, I, I won't say that I've entirely moved on from Mongoose and Mercat because obviously it's still being published in the magazine, but I haven't written a Mongoose and Merkat story for, for years at this point. Um, and I've got a lot of other projects that I'm working on and I, I, keep saying, and, and, and again, I'm trying really hard not to give endings away, but the fact that I've said there is an ending, uh, there is an ending to the stories and, and I haven't really envisioned anything beyond that ending. And for the people who have read at the very beginning the battlefield of karis um, there really isn't much of a beginning before that if i wanted to do mongoose mercat because it's very clear they meet for the first time in the very first story so if i wanted to do a prequel it would either be mangoes without cat or cat without mangoes um And that's an evil question to ask because now I'm starting to think maybe there might be an interesting story there. Um, But um, but it wouldn't be both of them. Well,
1: we're here to put you on the spot, if nothing else.
0: What's this we, white man? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. That would be cool, though.
2: Yeah, actually, wow. Wow. This is, as an author, this is a hard thing um, because last year I was working on a story and it was really cool. I had a great time with it and I got to a point probably three quarters of the way through and I just hit a wall and I knew what the ending was, but I just, I had a really, really hard time getting from where I was to where I needed to be to finish the book. And it was brutal, absolutely brutal. And it was not helped that... Along about October, I made a trip to Newport, Rhode Island, where my daughter was, um, she was graduating OCS for the U.S. Navy, and they have all these beautiful houses there. So we, we went to her, her commissioning, and we went to some of the house tours, and it gave me a really, really great idea for another story. And I'm like, oh, this is absolutely awesome. I need to write this. This, this isn't just a book. This could be a series. This is just beautiful, and it's exciting, and I want to write it. But I'm still stuck in this other one. And it was absolutely torture trying to finish the story that I had no interest in writing because I didn't know what to write versus the story that sounded really super cool and I really wanted to write that. And now you got me thinking about what I could write about a prequel for Mancus and Merkat. And if I think too much about it, it might just get exciting and I'll want to write it.
1: Now that's the that's the key. You want Jim Brifogle to write you some good stuff? Get him excited about it. <laughs>
2: yeah unfortunately it might have to you know jot a few ideas down and put it in the queue and wait for its turn <laughs> uh that's cool
1: uh lots of love in the chat hey everybody um john de la Rose is here art and on studios roll. thanks for joining us uh john Daker, mixed gm he's got some love for you he he enjoys your
2: mongoose meerkat stories love the path oh, of, of core and the paths of core manner excellent thank you i'm glad you enjoyed it passive core manner i i I've really enjoyed writing that one too. And talking about, you know, it, are you happy with the numbers? I'm happy with the Paz Core Manor, um, but I do feel like it's been a little bit overlooked um, just because uh, yeah, I, I, I liked Paz of Core Manor. I think if more people were to pick it up, I think more people would enjoy it too, but it's, it's nice to hear, uh, John, thank you that you enjoy both the Mongoose and and the Paz of Core Manor.
1: Uh, I, I want to ask you about what's next, but before we get to that, da- Daddy Warpig, do you have any other questions? Um,
0: I think that um means no.
1: Fantastic. Uh, so let's move on from Mongo and Meerkat because you seem like you are ready to move on from Mongo and Meerkat. I'm curious to know more.
2: Ah, uh, well, I mean. Getting into other media, I mean, that question right there just might be kind of like the godfather. I try and get out. It keeps dragging me back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there are some characters in the back of my mind that could get me interested in a prequel for and Americat. But no, what I'm writing on right now is. Um, is so I'm I've been doing some some short stories, uh, but I've moved a little bit away from the short stories in the last couple of years, and I'm doing more novel-length stuff, which is which is harder to find a home for right off the bat. Um, very fortunate. Uh, last actually, it was the end of the year before last. I'd just wrapped up *Passive Core Manor*, and um, before I did anything else, I wanted to give Alex a chance to to pick it up if he wanted to. So I approached him with the idea. And on really short notice, he did a great job of just saying, yeah, I really like this. Let's get this out. Um, We can do it this year. So from I think I approached him in December of 2000. And the Kickstarter was in the middle of 2021. Um, Did a great job lining up cover art, great job copy editing and getting everything out. what I've been working on now, I mean, Paths of Core Matter, for those of you who don't who haven't read it or don't know it, is it's not like Mongoose and Maricad is that you can go through most of the book without knowing that there's subtext and stuff going on in the background. Um, you absolutely do know that there is another story, but each story, but each chapter is from a... Uh, a different POV, so that you you start off and you have Amara and Kellen, and they're they're going through their trials and tribulations, and you know what their goal is. But as they, as they go in pursuit of their goal, there's another chapter who a different POV character who has their own story and their own goal, and their story is wrapped up in that chapter. Except in each one of them, either Amara or Kellen enters in and participates in that story as they pursue their own. And by the time you reach the end of it, you have you have all these little stories, but nowhere do you have the sense that Kellen or Amara's story is wrapped up. You know that that's still ongoing until you reach the end of the book. Uh um, so it's still a series of short stories but it's just not as disconnected as mongoose americat is what i've been doing now is more of the traditional novel structure where you have one story and you're just going straight through and you have chapters and and you can't pick up chapter 10 and expect that you're going to have a complete story in chapter 10 you've got to read the first nine before you get to that point and you got to read however many are after that point to get to your resolution um and all i will say about it uh, apart from it's really cool and it's really exciting and it, it, it fires me up is it's a story about people, um, but some of them are dragons. <laughs> um, so
1: besides,
0: um, go ahead. No, I, I want to follow up on that. Um, I had a video, you know, how Facebook does their little memories thing where they like show you stuff you tweet uh, you posted on this day, you know, years and years and years ago. Well, I just, uh, today I saw a movie that I reposted that was, you know, what if Chinese people made Star Wars? And it was a fight scene from uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where the swords were given the lightsaber glow. Um, And as funny as it was to watch, it still is a scene from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And... What I liked about watching it was this, is the scene is absolutely about sword fighting spectacle. It's got Michelle Yeoh in it fighting um, the young lady from the movie whose name I can't remember because I really never knew it. Uh, Um, yeah. Yeah. And they both are fantastic. Fantastic fighters. But here's the thing. The fight is. uh, Unlike. You know. Say the Phantom Menace fight. At the end with Darth Maul. Absolutely telling a story. Because Michelle Yeoh. Is serene. She's confident. And she's in control. And. And. Even though she's pressed—that is, she's being attacked—and you can tell that she's having to exert herself to defend herself and to attack, she's not afraid. She's not, um, you know, panicking. And then the other character is absolutely angry. Absolutely driven, absolutely trying to uh, not just hurt or kill Michelle Yeoh's character. She's trying to prove that she is just as good or better, and so and so. Just as much as it's a martial arts fight. It's also a story about a young character with something to prove um, trying to win the fight just to prove that they're as good or better. And it is absolutely a story about character just as much as it is a fight. And I think that is so phenomenal because I really think that's something that Has been leached away um, gradually, and that a lot of things that um, there are a lot of great movies where they add interest to the fights, where the fights push the plot forward, but so many movies skip it. In Maverick, which we reviewed last week, absolutely the fights drove the plot forward and the fights were just as much about the story as anything else. Uh, I mean, and one uh, big example you can think of, obviously, is the fights between Rooster and Maverick during the training sequence. Uh, and then they carried that through with the uh, push-ups that he's having to do after, or that Rooster's having to do after he gets shot down, that he definitely has something to prove. He definitely has an axe to grind, and and it's just uh, it's amazing to where you have yes a but it's really about the story being told. It's not just about the spectacle, although the spectacle is there.
2: Yeah, you seem to get that more in in movies too. Is that you have you know a, a fancy chase scene or a, a big fight, lots of explosions. Looking at Michael Bay or something like that, um, and Michael Bay does a good job because his explosions do sort of make it exciting and drive the the plot forward um but if it doesn't then you're just it's just totally gratuitous and and you're left thinking that that looked cool but it's kind of like a a low calorie meal you're wondering if there was really anything to it And, and that's one of the um one of the slams i think against genre fiction in the past um that you got all these literary people who are talking about the only thing you have going for you is these, you know, cool space fights or these magical battles or, you know, a a fancy system of magic or technology or something that is different from the real world. So you're just dangling this, this thing out there for people to engage in, but there's nothing behind it. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, there's some validity to that. Somebody comes up with a really cool, um, a a really cool technology, and that's the only thing that's in the story because they don't have any people stories behind it. You don't have any good plotting or character or anything like that. And in in Spec's defense, one, they're not all like that, and two, there's a bunch of really crappy stories that don't have speculative elements in it too, so expecting every spec story to to ring every bell out there is a little unfair. Um, But that's, you know... yeah, you're right. I mean, having that human element, good stories are stories about people and their challenges and the way they overcome or succumb to them, I'll hopefully overcome, but not always. And, and that's what really engages. And if you have an interesting technology, then it needs to be integrated into the story because if it's, if it is the story, then you don't have a story.
1: Done, that's it, that's the show. <laughs> i i sense that was my time to follow up but i can't follow you two guys (laughs) Uh, i i uh i mean i definitely appreciate what you're bringing to storytelling um i think what struck me this time the same as last time is your your passion and excitement for these projects um which sort of leads me to what I've been sort of thinking in the back of my head. Is there, is there a trick to exciting your imagination?
2: Um, there... Not really. I mean, I, I'd love to be able to say whenever I hit the writing wall, then I do this, that, or the other thing. And it gets me through it. Um, anybody who's written knows that writer's blocks are not that easy to get through. Um, some of them you never get through. That's how you end up with trunk stories. And for those who aren't writers, a trunk story is a story that either you just can't finish or it is so bad that you can't fix it to the point that it just goes in the trunk on the top shelf of the closet and it never comes out. Um, it happens to everybody. And I have some of them too for for getting ideas. so So the idea that really... Um, kind of took off. And, and, and ideas are kind of progressive because you'll get something in your head and, and maybe somebody will say something um, like this idea of another mongoose and Mercat is probably going to just, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to keep circling back to it until I add characters, until I add settings, until I add plot points to it. And then eventually I'll have enough of a story that I'm like, wow, okay, this is really exciting because I have enough to go with. But the one I'm working on now, I mentioned I was in um, Newport, Rhode Island. And for those who aren't familiar with Newport, Rhode Island, it was the summer home for a lot of Gilded Age millionaires from, um, you know, the 1880s through the 1920s. They would come out from New York City, and they just had these fantastic cottages. And and I use cottage with air quotes around it because they're really mansions, and and they're just. Unbelievable. I mean, if you recognize that you're building a house around the summer entertaining system, so, so it's summer entertaining season, so that the ballroom is on the main floor because it's easier to get to than if you put your ballroom up on the fourth floor then you have a sense of what you're doing. I mean, millions of dollars to build these things with marble columns and stuff like that. But in the 1960s and 70s, taste had changed and people were looking at these mansions, not as beautiful architect or, or craftsmanship, but as worthless. And you had high-end New York architects who were literally saying that there is no redeeming feature about these things. Uh, and so they were just tearing them down. And The the original owners had died. Nobody else wanted them, so they'd they'd remove them. And I'm looking at some of these lots that used to have phenomenal homes on them and they're not there anymore. And in in the back of my mind, I'm just kind of running through this because I'm an old house junkie and I'm looking at this stuff. I think that is just tragic because somebody had a lot of creativity to design a house like this. And there were a lot of guys who put a lot of really high quality craftsmanship into building them. And then we just sort of write it off. It's not worth saving and we level it. And, and when you're in the 1960s and nobody's building with a marble pillars anymore, you tear that house down. And what do you do with the marble pillars? You probably throw them away because nobody else wants them. You're not building them with any. And, and so my mind starts working around and around. I'm like, man, that is just, that is a shame. That all that stuff just happened, and then I'm thinking it's like, okay, yeah, we're on the East Coast, and and a lot of the the trash, the ways they distribute, you know, the way they get rid of their trash is to load it on barges and just dump it in the ocean. And then of course, I it creates a picture in your mind of of the debris of one of these houses just, you know, 50 miles off the coast and dumped to the bottom of the ocean, and and that's kind of an evocative image when you start thinking about all the you know the fancy dinners and the balls and the, the 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 gowns and the suits and the and all the stuff that goes into a summer party and then gone and and dumped someplace like the bottom of the ocean. And I'm like, okay, so if I'm gonna make a story out of this, if I want something that can somehow grab the essence of 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 this, okay, we're not just tearing it down and dumping it in the ocean, but if you have a a, a fantastic situation how does it get torn down and so my creative process just sort of thinks about that as how can you do that this doesn't work this works okay but if this works then that implies something else or it leaves another question then you just start you start creating characters to move the levers of the plot and if when i hit a wall then sometimes i have to step back and say do i have the right character is the character doing the right action? Are they not acting? And this is my problem. And for me, this is actually kind of a problem is sometimes I get tied up in dialogue, but it doesn't give a whole lot of physical movement. You end up with you know, talking heads and nobody wants talking heads on the TV screen and you sure don't want them on the written page. So then I have to start saying, okay, so this, this scene lacks momentum. What do I need to do to insert momentum into the scene so that it feels like it's moving forward because the dialogue alone isn't enough. Let's get some action here. Um, but it's generally a, a questions. And, and you give yourself some, some stock questions that when it's not working, you, the first one is, why isn't this working? And then sometimes if it's on the sentence level, you might just say, well, what I need to do is invert the sentence structure. Or I tend to use a lot of dependent causes. And I'm like, maybe I don't need a dependent cause here. Maybe what I really need is a simple, short, move it forward sentence, because this is supposed to be an action sequence. This isn't supposed to be some sort of eloquent, flowery speech. Just hammer it out. Um, And sometimes at the end of the day, all the questions don't work. And I'm left going, oh god, I have no idea.
1: Those end up in the trunk, or do you, you ever go back to those stories?
2: I, I Usually, I will do that. And sometimes, um, sometimes the trunk story is just you, you haven't found the right fit for it. And, and I'll go back and I'll say, this really isn't as bad as I thought it was. Um, but sometimes even that doesn't save it, because if I'm involved in a new project, I'm not going to pull it out of the trunk and work on that. I'm just, it's like, Nip, this wasn't as bad as I thought, but back in the trunk it goes. Um, sometimes I'll dust it off and I'll just send it out to a few more places to see if times have changed. Editors have changed. Maybe somebody wants it after all. Um, and sometimes I look at it and think, oh my God, what was I thinking? Wow. This is, you know, sometimes it's just no good. The characters don't relate. Sometimes it's seemed like it was, created a powerful image but it's really just too narrow and it won't appeal to enough people so yeah if you find the right person it's going to be great but there aren't enough of those people out there to make it worthwhile so just enjoy rereading it and then back in the trunk it goes i hear you
1: another question from chat carlos uh carrasco wants to know what's your writing (laughs) regimen
2: and not rigid enough that's for sure um i try and write every day And I do have a loose interpretation of writing because a lot of the stuff that I do, I end up, um, Daddy War Pig mentioned the research and, and all the stuff that goes into his work. And I totally sympathize. If I didn't have an internet connection, my writing would grind to a halt because there's a lot of stuff that goes into getting things right. Um, some of it is so the current novel that I'm working on involves uh yacht racing. And I am very sad to say that I don't own a yacht and I don't know a whole lot about yacht racing. So to try and be authentic in that I have to take what sailing knowledge I do have and then add a lot of research to try and make sure that that what I present is uh believable for the reader. Um that counts as part of my writing regime. That research that goes into it. Some of the stuff. Um, if you want to set something in, say, you know, Second World France, and you want it to be absolutely French feeling, um, I, I personally, I think that just throwing in some champagne and es- escargot is a little cheap. That makes it feel superficial. So I end up doing a lot of research on some of the regional cuisine. Um, I might spend, you know, 25 minutes just to come up with the appropriate hors d'oeuvres to serve. And so that takes more time. And then I sit down and if I can get, some people are really fast writers and I, I wish I was one of them. Um, I know people who can hammer out two, three, 5,000 words a day. Uh, if I can get a thousand words that I'm happy with, that's a pretty good day. Um, Some days I can get 600 words that I'm happy with. Some days I feel like I'm going backwards because I not only have no words that I'm happy with, I'm going back and fixing stuff that I feel like I should have gotten better the first time anyway. Um, But that's also writing day, rewriting um, things like, you know, right now talking to other people about writing and Mondoos and Maricat doing a little bit of promotion that, that counts as writing work. At least I pretend it does.
1: <laughs> uh, you Well, you, throughout this interview and conversation, you've struck me as someone who uh, gets inspiration from everything that goes in
2: and out of your mind. Uh, so, you can... so yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to name drop a little bit because uh, it was Tolkien. Um, Tolkien did a little bit of writing on writing and he called it leaf mold which is you know how very british um but basically what he's talking about is everything that goes into your mind whether it's reading whether it's visual whether it's experiential sort of creates a leaf mold and and basically what he's talking about is all that crap goes into a compost pile and it sort of rots down and then what you what you um write grows out of that compost like seeds and things like that and and the more I think about it, the more I think he's he's absolutely right. Um, and if you are sort of paying attention to what's going on around you, the world really is a fantastic place. I mean, things happen, and usually they're intentional, but sometimes they're accidental, and and sometimes they're just so weird. Or sometimes they're just so normal that it sparks something, that you create a story around it um and and that's how stories in my mind really grow you have an exceptional character and a character is not a story but they might have a story so a story develops around the character you might have an unusual scene so the story develops from the scene or something like that and and yeah i mean it's i don't want to say it's easy because i you never know what's going to spark the inspiration but if you're paying attention there's a lot of stuff out there that could
1: So I'm I'm still back picturing a character compost heap where you're just <laughs> you're just like you sh- you shovel it onto a garden and and outgrows, you know uh, a mongoose and a meerkat character out of your garden from your
2: from your character compost pile. That that'd be awesome. I mean, it doesn't give them the cleanest of beginnings, but um, yeah, there you go. Uh,
1: it it does it does sort of. Uh, it's It's a neat metaphor because you when you think about terms or phrases like nothing new under the sun and you know the way that people can simultaneously you know coincidentally come up with the same or similar ideas you know in different parts of the globe, it's because because of that idea that you know all this information is being filtered in and uh, and f- filtered out.
2: Yeah. It, well, the corollary kind of is is what do you put into your compost heap. Uh, which is, you know, it's an interesting question. It's affected the way I read stuff. I mean, I used to read just about anything that came across my desk, I'd be willing to read it. And so there's some good stuff that ha- comes across your desk that way. And there's some stuff that isn't really that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you write, you often write in a way that is familiar to you. And so if you if all you read is highbrow literary Florid language stuff, then you're probably going to write that way. And if all you read is kind of semi literate crap, then you're probably going to write that way. And so I try and be a little bit careful of some of the stuff that I put in my compost heap. So some of that beach reading, which I, I love beach reading, um, but I try and make it a little bit better beach reading than I might have 35 years ago. Um, you know, like for just, example, Curse of a Magazine absolutely it's the perfect thing to read at the beach and it's the perfect thing to read you know before bed and on weekends and the evenings i mean you just can't go wrong with kurosova <laughs> but um yeah i i i do end up reading there's no way that you can guarantee that everything you pick up is going to be worth reading um but i do try and read stuff that that has strong plots and strong characters and things like that so that i don't fall into the trap of yeah, I don't really need to plot this in any good way, or I don't need a strong character here. Uh, it's very flattering for an author when when one of the readers says, I love this, and you know it's the bartender or something like that, because you realize that bartenders are people too. And, and while that person's on the scene, sometimes you can just, I mean, you, if you don't name them, you don't name them, but if you interact with somebody a little bit more, then you feel like they need to be more of a person. And it's really nice when somebody says, I love that character. Don't you have a bigger role for them? Or don't they have their own story? Story and you're like, yeah, I mean, they're a real person off screen, but they're not because there is no off screen. It's just nice that you feel that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd rather be reading books that, that create those habits in you of recognizing what makes a good story rather than reading books that encourage you to cut the corners. Corners are way too easy to cut as they are. I don't need any encouragement. Mm, That's
1: for sure. Um, In any creative endeavor, do putting in the work, really. That's how you get good quality work. It's actually putting in the the time. Yep. Okay. Uh, Daddy Warpig. before I try to wrap things up, one last chance for questions
0: or comments. Well, I'm am just wondering, like, um, give me one example of what you mean by cutting a corner. Um, so one of
2: the things that I've had a problem with in the past in my writing, and, and I'm not shy, I've I've said it already on this thing, is that I believe good stories are character driven. The that nobody wants to read a story about a tree growing, but but when you have characters intention whether it's conflict against each other or obstacles to overcome or things like that that make them grow and change or or reveal who they are whatever it whatever it takes a good story is character driven i have a tendency to go a little bit lighter on the description i have a a, a bad habit of of white rooming um so if if i think that i can get away with it I'll be less likely to give you a, a good visual of the setting and the things like that. And, and in the reader's mind, I mean, it, it's, it's nice to have, a, a I don't want to say a, a tapestry in front of you, but it's nice to have a good, solid picture of where you are. Um, and I'm perfectly willing to let the reader fill in some of the details. But as I mentioned, you know, if you're doing the French setting, and you want it to feel like France, you've got to put in the time and effort to talk about, you know, certain uniquely French characteristics of architecture something that, you know, you professions or crafts that you only find in France, food that they only um, serve in France. You need to have the French naming of things like that. And and that all takes time and effort. And if you don't know it, it takes research. one of the things i'm I'm trying to think of the guy's name he did illustrations for um uh, comics the uh, uncle scrooge comic books and he was very well respected because one of the things he did at a time when backgrounds were kind of stock backgrounds um, if you had you know uncle scrooge went to china he had Chinese buildings in the background where other people didn't necessarily do that. And so his work was much better received because you had a better sense that they were actually going to China because you could, you could see the Chinese influence in the art. Um, Neil Gaiman is the same way it is he feels very strongly that you need to put in the work to make it feel authentic. And I need to be aware of where I have a tendency to skip on the work. So if I don't put it in, it won't feel as authentic.
0: So when you're going from New York to Santa Fe, you need to make sure that people know that the streets of New York are very different from the streets of Santa Fe, even though they're both modern american cities and they both have skyscrapers they both have traffic lights and and streets and probably even the same make and model of cars um yep. there's still a big difference and the feel of of cities is different even if you know someone from i don't know ghana or moscow would wouldn't necessarily be able to consciously describe the differences there are differences that you want they're to, absolutely- out to your readers
2: absolutely there are differences and and if you look at them some of them i mean yeah if you have skyscrapers and you even if they're um designed by the same architect even if they're taken from the same architectural plan book um the trees out front of them aren't going to be the same because you have two wildly different climates The, the the sky is not going to be the same behind them again for climateary reasons the You know, if you have local, I mean, everybody has Home Depot and stuff like that. But if you have mom and pop shops around, they're probably going to be focused on different things um, just because of the different cultural backgrounds that went into settling those those areas. Your names on the streets are going to be different. One's going to be, you know, more Puritan New England or actually probably in New York case, both Puritan New England and Dutch influenced and Albuquerque is going to be more Spanish influenced. So your street names are going to be different. All those little things that go into it. um, Yeah. Those are the things that that build credibility with readers.
0: All right, John, now I'm done.
1: All done. Uh, It's, it has been Fantastic. Uh, thanks again for joining us again, Jim. Uh, I want to point out we got this Kickstarter going. Kersilva's publishing more of your stuff. We got volume two, 18 months worth of mongoose and meerkat stories. And uh, anything else you want to say
2: before we go? Uh, once again, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be on. The Kickstarter is going until the end of June. Um one thing I didn't mention, so again, a little bit of shameless promotion, getting back to the Kickstarter, is for the the listeners who have not read the stories in the first volume, anybody who buys any version of the second volume will get an ebook version of the first volume. So it's a real quick, easy, free way. To, to catch up on the stories you can if you're the sort of person who actually pr- prefers to have a uh, physical copy you can do an add-on for the first volume as well or you could do an add-on for Passive of core manner and if you like collecting that really cool art we were talking about i think there's still a couple of the uh, line original line arts from dark philly are still available um so those yeah a little bit of self-promotion there but if you're if, if the listeners are interested they have until the end of June to, to follow through.
0: Um, I did have a question. Are you going to be doing any, uh, appearances at like stores or cons anytime in the near future? Um, I,
2: I used to, I haven't done it recently. I mean, COVID is sort of, um, yes. And I see if you don't have the paths of core or that is also available as an add-on, and that is something that, that you could not have read by reading your magazine. That is all, um, only available in the passive core manner. I, I used to be a regular attendant of World Fantasy Convention. I haven't been for a couple of years because of COVID. My wife is sort of trying to encourage me to go to the one upcoming in New Orleans, but I have not committed to that. Um, looking into doing a book signing in um, near Harrisburg, they, they periodically set them up for local authors. And I missed the one for the summer because I'm visiting family, but I'm thinking of getting in on the one on the fall. I honestly, I'm I'm kind of an introverted person. It, it's hard to get me out to to do signings or readings. Um, yeah, I mean. If there is anybody who is in the Harrisburg area towards sometime in August, check with cabinet maker books, see who's on their list of signers. And if I'm there, I'm there. If I'm not, something came up and I didn't make it. Oh, we appreciate you coming out of
1: hiding as a writer and introvert to talk to us about this stuff. Um, uh, we love we love your stuff here in the Geekab. The chat's huge fans. Uh, lots of love to you guys. I'm happy everybody who who joined us live to talk about you and your work and writing and over and everything. Um, and I hope everybody listening live later really enjoyed uh, getting some insight into uh, writing cool pulp fiction. And but uh, that's all I have to say for this week, Daddy Warpig.
0: Um. Well, you know how I said last week that every time we uh, announce something, it immediately falls through. Um, Jim actually came on the show. So I'm shocked, shocked that uh, <laughs> that didn't fall through somehow. <laughs> um, and we are still scheduled to for next week with Alexander McCreese from uh, Adamant Entertainment um, coming on the show to talk about his uh, currently running uh, Kickstarter. Um, and so we're looking very much... Uh, Towards that next week he will uh be his first time on the uh on the gab. And uh you know, I'm hoping to get out to see Jurassic World Domination Dominion. You're supposed to correct me there. That's what that nope, gave.
1: I'm I can't help you with that. <laughs> Did you say in, you were gonna see in... that or skin suit park the take my money money no i i don't know anything about it except that it's come out this past week
0: yeah but you you didn't you say you were gonna go see it though oh no i'm i'm not going to oh you're gonna let me do this by myself all alone <laughs> you abandoned, bet walking through the wilderness with no backup yeah i want you to put that
1: crap in your mental compost pile
0: Eh, that's not like i've seen it's not like i haven't seen worse <laughs> i mean last night i watched uh you know joe bob briggs does his uh drive-in uh movie show uh on shutter now used to be on showtime now it's on Shudder. uh so they did a special on AMC where he's re-watching the first season of The Walking Dead. So, last night I watched it. Not the whole season, just the first episode.
1: The things you do to yourself for, for our show.
0: You know what's sad? I didn't actually even really do it for the show. I just wanted to watch something zombie last night and I thought, you know, what the heck? <laughs> Never changed, Eddie Warpig. Oh, but we're done for today, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Okay, Would, was there anything else you had to say, or? I'm done. Okay. Um. Oh, I don't even have a review tonight. Oh, wait, no. Yes, I do. I like the. Uh, joe bob briggs episode of you know doing his shtick around uh around the first episode of the walking dead they did a really thorough review of of zombie movies and stuff and that was cool and they talked about talked with the makeup guy on the uh, walking dead and that was cool they had a lot of interesting stuff around the episode which is fine because i've seen the episode like pretty much exactly nine times um And so, uh, you know, what, what, nine times? Don't give me that disapproving look. I can see you through the internet. You don't have a camera on, but I can see that disapproving look. Shaking your head in your chair. I know you. I've known you for almost 20 years now. Literally. So, you know, don't get that way with me. Um, so if you have AMC+, and I don't know why you would, because there is literally nothing on that service, uh, except one TV show I want to see that I haven't seen yet, um, A Discovery of Witches. I don't know if anybody has seen it. Um, it's got the really cute blonde chick from uh, the live-action Sorcerer's Apprentice with uh, Nick Cage in it. Oh, yes, Willy's Wonderland. Did you actually go see that?
1: Oh, yeah. You want to do a review next week?
0: Yeah, because I just saw that this week. Let's do it. Okay. We will schedule that for, for the first few minutes of next week's show. I finally saw that, so we can review it. Um, oh, yeah. I want to do a review. So that's that. it. That's
1: Alexander MacCrees and uh, role-playing games and Willy's Wonderland. Sounds like a good show.
0: That sounds like a great show for next week, folks. Um, mm. So anyways, um, yeah, there's nothing on AMC Plus except for a discovery of witches in this specific Joe Briggs series where they've temporarily hosted it on AMC Plus instead of uh, Shudder. Um, so I don't know if you have, for some strange reason, subscribed to AMC Plus. I'm not saying I have, although I have. Watch this Joe Bob Briggs thing. Um, Folks, uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who turned in live to uh, listen to the show, participate in the chat. Uh, Really, really jumping this week. Um, Actually, as always, uh, we have a highly intelligent and uh, widely educated uh, audience who uh, always brings their A game to the chat. We want to say thank you to everyone who will listen later. You can catch us on YouTube.com slash gab That is YouTube.com slash gab You can also get us on uh, SoundCloud.com, the Apple iTunes Store, or on the Google Play Store just to a search for Geek gab to uh, listen to us on the device of your choice or watch us on the web. We are signing out for today, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We... Well, be back.